0: We have a new free book for Human Action Podcast listeners, Dr. Guido Holzman's How Inflation Destroys Civilization. Learn how inflation isn't only making us poorer, it's harming our culture, mental well-being, and the moral foundations of civilization itself. Get your free copy today at mises.org slash HAPod free. This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Action Podcast. Today, I'm going to be going solo and giving a response to James Lindsay's recent post at his uh, New Discourses website. The tagline is pursuing the light of objective truth in subjective darkness. So this was a February 1st, 2024 post from James called national divorce is national suicide. Before I dive in, let me just give a little back in case you're not familiar. So James Lindsay, he came on the scene in let's say Liberty lovers circles back. He was involved with the big hoax, uh, with him and, uh, Peter Bragasian and Helen Pluckrose where they submitted a bunch of fake uh, articles to various, you know, woke journals like feminist studies and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they had stuff like documenting the number of, of sexual assaults that dogs committed against each other at their local dog park, stuff like that. And so the point was they got a bunch of these published and then they were saying, "Ha ha! Surprise everyone! We actually think you're all a bunch of morons, and this was all a big joke, just to show how lax the standards are in these alleged disciplines." Okay, so that's, I think, where a lot of people you know first heard of James Lindsay, and then over time he's uh, just become a, a growing figure, let's say on the right. I don't know if if he would like me saying that and describing it that way, but certainly those are the people who have been receptive to his message. He's um, you know, he stands for truth, justice in the American way. So in that sense, he's a super guy. Uh, his big thing, like I say, is to warn against postmodernism. He does an excellent job in all of his work about going and reading the literature of the people who are trying to knock down objective truth and so forth. And, you know, the communist infiltration and Oh, gee, their original plan didn't work. So now they're doing the long march through the institutions. And watch out, folks. This is what their game plan is. Here's a glossary of terms that they use. You know, how? what does whiteness mean? Why do they say that? Let's talk about that. All right. So he's really good at that stuff, sort of documenting. Here's what the enemy's blueprints look like. Be on the guard, folks. Okay. So having said all that, and I'm a fan, he's a very intelligent guy. I mean, that was actually what my response when the hoax stuff first got big and, you know, and when they revealed is that um, my point was, well, this guy, James Lindsay seems like he's super sharp. And by his own admission, he spent like a year, you know, reading these journals and everything. So given that the guy's that intelligent, it's actually not as big of a, uh, a ha ha to these journals that they published articles that he largely wrote Given that he is so intelligent, right? That in other words, James Lindsay is sharp enough that yeah, if he takes a year off and just reads in an area, he could get up to speed and be able to make contributions in that discipline. It doesn't prove that the discipline is bogus, right? So that that was my take at the time. I you know he, I think he's got a PhD in math, so he's a very sharp guy. Um, and he, some people don't like him because on Twitter. He, like, does your mom jokes, things like that. I get it. You can be driven to despair on Twitter and decide, you know, I'm just going to amuse myself with what some might deem sophomoric jokes. But where I was very uh, concerned is him coming out so hard recently against what's called national divorce and just saying this is a crazy idea and the people – You know, conservatives and libertarian types who are flirting with this—this is a really bad idea. We need to drop this right now. And not also too—it's if you're familiar with James, his tone was not one of "I totally get where these people are coming from." However, it's step 17 in their argument. I have a slight quibble about the empirical, but no, he's just flat out. What are you guys stupid? This is crazy. This is exactly what Klaus Schwab wants us to do. And so that's why I'm saying no. That our position. So I have written, um, a pamphlet called common sense, the case for an independent Texas. And I'll of course link to that folks, um, in case you're not familiar with that, but, um, you know, as someone who's made that case, I want to say, no, if, if you're at a point right now where you think the people who say, for example, texas it, is a very viable strategy here in terms of what are we supposed to do right now given the strongholds that the enemy has grabbed. An enemy can be defined in secular terms or religious terms, depending on your perspective and worldview. Uh, if you're at the point where you're just like, secession, that's that's nutty. Well, come on, that's great. Then you're you're not taking it seriously, okay? So yes, I there are valid disagreements. If someone wants to say, I don't think that this can be done without avoiding a lot of bloodshed, you know, that's that's a certainly reasonable argument for us to have. I, I disagree. I think actually Texas is the only way to avoid a large-scale civil war in the in the current, you know, borders of the United States. But I understand people who disagree with me on that. All right. So, this is my response uh to James in the in this episode of the human action podcast. All right. So right off the bat, let me just mention, as I always try to remember to do with these discussions, I don't like the term national divorce and it's partly well, because to me, it makes it sound like all of us alive right now, who are us citizens today, we all agreed and we swore before God and our families and friends that we were all going to try to make it work and live together with other U.S. citizens, and then you know, a few years later, we just decided, you know what, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Ha ha! Psych, and and that's not what's going on here. Right? We were all born into this system, and so I think it uh, it overplays you know our uh, us shirking our duties or something to call this a national divorce. Having said that, it's it's a fight. I'm not going to keep dying on that hill like too too many people are are have embraced that term and it does I guess the the benefit of the term is everybody who's using it acknowledges that yes the best solution would be if we could all get along and resolve our dis- differences amicably but you know what sometimes when people are bound together in a union that just it it's it's not going to work out and just forcing them to stay together in the long run is actually more destructive. So it's not to downplay the the damage done, you know, to children or whatever, you know, from a from a divorce, like in a, you know, in an actual divorce in terms of a married couple, but sometimes that's the, the best thing you can do in a bad situation, right? So given that that's where they're coming from by using that phrase, you know, I get it, and like I say, all I, I'll do at this point is make my standard disclaimer at the outset that I never would have used this term myself, but since everybody else is using the phrase national divorce when in Rome. Okay. So let's now go through Lindsay's article. Um, so he starts out and I want to say, even though he can be a smart elk on Twitter and partly what provoked me to over the edge to, to make this post is he, uh, He had a a wise guy response to, I guess what what was admittedly a bit of a wise guy initial response from me to his his post. Um, He's he is trying to be fair in this article. All right, so this isn't a hit piece, and when he lays out, so I'm not going to recapitulate here for you folks, James Lindsay's attempt to at the outset say, here, let me sketch what the argument is coming from the people who genuinely believe that national divorce is the best way. To safeguard, you know, the remnants of liberty that we have in this country, okay. So he he's not like making setting them up to look as, to be fools in this article where he kind of, you know, drops his internet shtick and is being serious. Um, so I appreciate that, but as as we'll see as we get through this, I think there's some just basic contradictions in his argument, and uh, among other things. I don't think he's incorporated into his modeling, if that's the word you want to use, or or wargaming these scenarios. I don't think he's fully appreciating how I'm looking at things, given my background as an economist trained in the Austrian school. Okay, so there's there's that element in terms of where I'm going with this. And also some of his historical analogies, I, I think, or just his general exposition to me seems completely at odds with the basic history that we have. Okay. He st- sets out in the beginning that look at for the purposes of this article I'm just going to refer generically to red state and blue state to indicate as I'm sure you can guess you know w- what the US looks like if it splits into two regions. And so he's saying, you know, don't don't get hung up on the details I'm not saying there's literally going to be just one state that breaks away that is the red state. Uh, there, could, you know, there could be a multiplicity of states that break away, but let's just, for the purposes of this discussion, abstract away from all those particulars and just say, suppose the U.S. breaks into two separate regions where you know, the people leaving saying, hey, you guys are a bunch of commies. We, we really like the Constitution. We like the way America used to be, and we're going to break away and have our own country and play in our own sandbox that that's the red state and then the people who are left behind is the blue state. Okay, so that's how he's going to use you know if I'm going to be reading excerpts as we go through this episode here, I'm just giving you that that context. And and I'm fine with that. So again, my particular view I have come out formally endorsing the proposal for the current state of Texas to initiate you know legal procedures and whatnot to formally announce we are withdrawing from the union and that we are going to go back to being the republic of texas. Okay, so that's what my pamphlet is is advocating if New Hampshire wants to do the same thing or people in the northwest or whatever if California decides hey, we don't like being stuck in a in a country that allows for abortion restrictions, we want to form our own country. Yeah. You know, more power to them, literally. So that that's you know I'm not just saying it's got to be Texas but to me the most obvious case is Texas okay that I for one thing like why not Florida why didn't I pick that because Florida doesn't have a uh if Florida alone secedes they can be blockaded pretty easily whereas with Texas they've still got the huge border with Mexico and so if Washington wanted to seal off Texas from the global economy it wouldn't be enough just to have ships on, you know, both sides, which would be a lot harder to do than to just blockade Florida. But also, they would have to interfere with the Mexican-Texas border, and that would involve infringing on the sovereignty of Mexico, right? So the DC wouldn't be able just to focus on this one breakaway region from its own internal polity. It would have to be Uh, interfering with Mexico, which maybe it would do, but I'm just saying that's an extra hurdle, an extra reason that to me, it's just, if we're going to talk about secession and does it make sense, let's start with the most obvious plausible candidate, namely Texas, which among other things has, you know, in its history, it used to be its own republic when it joined. That's not the case for every current U.S. state. It's not the case that everybody living in each individual state, when they grow up, goes to school and learns about how their state used to be its own independent country. Whereas the people in Texas, that is what they learn, right? They're very proud of their heritage down there. Okay. So the first thing Lindsay does in his article, well, he first summarizes the case for national divorce. And like I say, he, he doesn't set up a straw man. He, he tries to be, he tries to steal man to do do a, a fair job there. And I don't have a big problem with his attempts to summarize what the position is. And then he transitions to now he's going to start explaining why this is a bad idea. And so he starts out with what he calls the big sort. Okay. Meaning like a sorting process. And he says, even before formal secession, a process that we actually have already underway is that, Americans are sort of self-segregating into regions that are either blue or red and that it's not necessarily, so there is some element of it across state lines, but he's saying the the real bifurcation is between rural and urban, you know, the, even in Texas, even if Texas overall, you could say is a red state, Austin is blue and, you know, I think Dallas is as well. And you see a similar pattern, like you know, I I live in Massachusetts right now. Certainly, if you're walking around Boston, you're not going to see a lot of MAGA hats. But if you're in the more rural areas, you do see all kinds of Trump signs on people's lawns and stuff like that, where you know, people feel very free, even in Massachusetts, to openly uh display their support for Trump. Okay, so Lindsay saying we can already see this, and he thinks that this is a bad, uh, process already, that this isn't a- allowing for, um, you know, the-, the preservation of, of Liberty in some regions and seeding it in others. He thinks that this whole procedure is the kind of thing that the commies like, and, you know, and so th- in the way he, uh, ex- illustrates this is to say, Hey, in 2022, State propaganda outlet NPR publishing articles about the big sort. And it says America is growing more geographically polarized, red zip codes are getting redder, and blue zip codes are becoming bluer. People appear to be sorting and it's making Americans more politically extreme. But he says the NPR article goes on to say that, oh, but actually, you know, maybe this is good because uh, you know, these people who live in in Austin you know their their daughter is now going to school and learning about lgbtq rights and so that's hey maybe you wouldn't have thought that would happen in texas but it's because austin now is having an influx of all these you know progressives okay so james point is look at if npr is okay with this then it must be a good idea okay so even on its own terms uh is NPR okay with Texas breaking away? I don't think so. Right? I, I I know so. Like I'm in contact with right now as as we speak here. I'm in contact with uh, the people at the Texas Nationalist Movement, and they're showing me Newsweek articles and things about reporters who are just doing complete utter hit pieces on these nut jobs in Texas who want to break away. Can you get a load of these guys? You know what? What do they want to reinstitute slavery? didn't the civil war settle this? What? No, you don't have a a, a constitutional right to secede. The Supreme court said so what's, what's wrong with you fools. Okay. It's, it's probably because you, uh, you just want to take over women's reproductive rights. That's probably what's going on here. Right. All your talk about freedom. Okay. Not freedom for women and their ovaries. Am I right? Okay. So that's the level of, you know, so again, so James, I, I get what he's trying to do. He's finding articles that even on his own terms, start out deploring political polarization and then look for silver linings. And he's saying, aha, see, they don't write a complete hit piece against polarization. They do explain how there are some upsides to it. And therefore, if NPR is okay with the big sort internally in existing U.S. states, then it's not hard to suppose that NPR actually is okay with Texas, but we don't have to speculate. Go look at the major media and how they're treating the people who are pushing for Texas secession right now, they're not uh, fluff pieces talking about how great it's going to be if Texas secedes. And then now imagine all the people who get to learn about LGBTQ rights in Texas, if they break away. No, they're saying the exact opposite. They're saying we can't let them break away because can you imagine what those rubes in Texas would do to women and minorities who are trapped in Texas when it breaks away? And we would probably have to send in federal troops just to protect the you know their individual rights right that's what they're saying, so i i again it just even on his own not that we should let n p r and Newsweek dictate whether we support secession or not, right they're um, probably also not in favor of global nuclear war. And so that doesn't mean. Well, wait a minute. If they're against global nuclear war, I guess we should be for it because otherwise, I'm kind of. You know. Um, okay. So. So there's that element, and then he, you know, he goes into. Let me just read some more from. He tries to link the big sword to the great reset, and James says, as it turns out, the and he says Z you know being funny about doing a german accent great reset is not just some big evil plan by the executive chairman of the world economic forum klaus schwab it's uh started out as an innovative new idea in urban planning that could solve the big sort is detailed in a 2009 book okay and so he again he's trying to show you that guys people at the wef and all these who are pushing the great reset which you're all against don't you know that those people are also in favor of an idea that could be linked to secession of U.S. states, and so therefore, if you think about it, if you're for Texas, you're kind of on the side of Klaus Schwab. And uh, uh, I, no, you're not. If you're, you know, the head of the World Economic Forum, or if you're the World Economic, you know, the people involved in there, what do you want? You want greater centralization, right? The people the World Economic they're trying to push a one-world government ultimately so they're not going to get it next Thursday how do how do you get to a, effectively a one world government is you maintain nominally all of the regional governments but they all are subsumed under this bigger hierarchy right so the heads of all the individual sovereign states sign multinational agreements with you know whether it's the UN or uh the IMF or or whatever it may be all these different international agreements the climate accords, blah, 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 ceding their sovereignty to some multinational body, right? That's how the commies and James's nomenclature operate. That's their plan now for taking over the world is greater centralization of power, taking the individual uh, current nation states and having them form part of a bigger hierarchical structure and just being cogs in that bigger machine. That's the way they're going to take over the world. And so in that process, they want centralization. They don't want decentralization. Did the establishment like Brexit? No, they were horrified by it. First, it caught them off guard. They thought it was so stupid. And, you know, we've done such a good job brainwashing the masses that these rubes aren't going to vote for Brexit. And then when it went through, they were kind of stunned. And then the damage controls, whoa, whoa, you guys obviously, you know, people didn't even know what the term meant. Let's do Let's have a do over. That was a mulligan. And they tried all kinds of various ways to stop the implementation of Brexit. And notice also, it was never on the table that, well, you know, ultimately, folks, if you think you should break away from the EU, we're going to launch cruise missiles into London. That was never even threatened, let alone did it come to pass. Okay, so this idea that no, Texas can't break away because at the end of the day, the federal government would just start bombing Dallas. I, I think people on the right are too quick to just admit that, yeah, that's what would happen. That uh, it's it's not, yes, Washington would not want to let Texas go. And again, it's weird. You know, I would just say to James, you agree with that, right? And part we're going to get down here later. James is going to agree. That There's going to be bloodshed, and that's one of his arguments about why we shouldn't be pushing this reckless idea because you know, you're going to get, get yourself killed or your kids killed if there's conflict with Washington. So i said, say, well, if everybody's in on it, if Klaus Schwab wants Texit, Bob Dole wants it, you want it, everybody wants it, why would they bomb people who are trying to do the thing that, they, that you're saying, James, furthers their interest? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, so no, Klaus Schwab and those people, they would be against Texit. They like having Texas where it is right now, where it is subservient to the people running Washington, because Klaus Schwab knows they've done a pretty good job locking up control over Washington, D.C., and you know the major media and so forth that permeates American airwaves. There's been pockets of resistance. They don't like Elon Musk popping off and allowing people to speak their mind somewhat more on Twitter than they used to and they're trying to plug those gaps but the point is the left has done a pretty good job conquering America already. And so by splitting it up into a bunch of smaller components, that doesn't help the left's agenda that undoes some of their hard work. What's the point of taking over America if you lose Texas? Okay. So that's, again, I I, I would say we don't have to speculate, uh, it, I think you know it's clear the major media are painting the pro texit people right now is a bunch of racist nut jobs who don't understand our cosmopolitan world of where everyone's a global citizen. Like they, they don't, um, they're not they're not in favor of decentralization. That's the opposite, and, and, and you know, going the other way. Let me just make this point before I forget. I would challenge James if he thinks that no the best way to stand up to Klaus Schwab and all these people is if we keep Texas in the Union and we just take America back and da, da, da. well, okay, are you all right then with you know the u s joining a more formal arrangement where the u n gets more sovereignty and that we just send our representatives to you know Davos or something or Brussels or who knows what in order to You know, be be just the U.S. representatives in the global world government that has more sovereignty, and we say no. But we'll just we'll send the right people. We'll we'll educate and look at all the progress we're making, and we'll just we'll we'll make sure the right people run the global government. I think James would agree that would be a very silly idea. So it just seems kind of odd that the right balance between more centralization or less centralization, the perfect trade off, the best way to promote liberty, is the existing. Structure right now, that if again, like if if the U.S. and Canada were to merge into one state, and then we had elections, you know, along with the Canadians, you know, the provinces were considered equivalent to states or something, and we you know expanded Congress that way, would that promote liberty or would that dilute the liberty lovers in America right now? And they'd be flooded in with a bunch of Canadian voters too, and then oh geez, now we're just we're getting merged with them. That's terrible. Would would you trust that? So if not, if James can ag- agree that no, merging the U.S. with Canada right now into one super state would be a bad idea, would not bode well for liberty, It seemed, but he also thinks if Texas broke away, then no, the people living in Texas too would would suffer more losses and in the long run would have less liberty than if they stayed as part of the U.S. Doesn't that seem like a pretty big coincidence that the exact perfect borders of the U.S. right now are right where they are? I mean that's he certainly hasn't made an as we'll see he's not making an argument for why that is he's He's just grabbing arguments here and there that I think um you know without a sort of empirical content, he's just making sweeping statements that, again, if you took them literally, would imply that yes, if there's a proposal you know to to merge the u s with Canada and maybe with Mexico too, and have this North American state. That, oh, that would be even better for liberty. Like, imagine how strong a unified North America would be standing up to Klaus Schwab or standing up to communist China, right? The U.S. plus Canada and Mexico would have a bigger economy and a stronger military than just the U.S. alone. So if James is saying we can't have Texas break away because otherwise that gives free reign to the commies in China to run roughshod over Taiwan and Hong Kong and all that stuff. Okay, well, then the U.S. should team up with Mexico and Canada join our forces, and then we'll have even a bigger Navy to go project force and stop the communists over from, you know, messing with Taiwan. But I'm pretty sure James would say, no, that wouldn't work either. So again, it's odd that the exact perfect place right now for where the border should be to maximize liberty for people who happen to live in the United States is exactly the current borders. Okay. James moves on and he has a section called the Israeli disengagement experiment. So here's where I just think he goes off the rails. Uh, he says, I'll, so I'll read some of this big withdrawals of a more extreme kind may also provide some clues as to the wisdom of encouraging the big sort. For example, in 2005, Israel formally disengaged from Gaza under a plan proposed by then prime minister Ariel Sharon. The Israelis dismantled 21 settlements in the Gaza Strip as part of the disengagement plan implementation law, compensating Israelis living in Gaza to relocate into Israel as residential areas were fully demolished. The rationale was straightforward. Lacking any possibility for a possible peace with the Arabs calling themselves Palestinians, who were largely represented by the radical Palestinian Liberation Organization and the terrorist group Hamas, Sharon decided to disengage to strengthen its control in the state of Israel. In other words, this is the same logic as is driving conservatives in the United States toward a national divorce plan. Okay, so just to make sure you're getting his analogy, he's saying back in 2005... You know, the Israeli authorities were conferring and saying, hey, we got this problem. There's these uh, Arabs that call themselves Palestinians. That's in James's uh, description. And they obviously don't care too much for us. They've been launching terrorist attacks and whatnot. So what do we do? They're complaining about uh, our settlers living in what they think is their land. So you know what? Enough of trying to be civilized with these people and trying to reason with them. Let's just take our marbles and go home. So we'll tell all our settlers, "Hey guys, come back here. Let's retreat. Let's have a fortress Israel strategy. We'll come back in. Let those Arabs do their own thing over there. We're just not going to bother them anymore, and maybe they'll leave us alone." Right? That's kind of the the idea. So, and, and so what? And you can see the parallel. Like, given that he's framed it that way as to what was going on in the 2005 Israeli disengagement experiment. James is saying that's clearly what you know the logic of the people who say and here he's not putting words in my mouth yeah i i do say things like that in my pamphlet for example that uh you know if you if you want to call this a retreat go ahead i'm fine with that language cuz right now yeah we're getting we be meaning like the people who care about individual liberty and the you know the founding principles of the US republic if that's the thing that you care about then you want to preserve that Right now, yeah, we're getting spanked, and sometimes, in conflict, you have strategic retreats, and that doesn't mean you're a coward, and it doesn't mean uh, you don't believe in yourself, it's just sometimes that's the situation. And it would be foolhardy if, like a commander says, "No, on principle, I never retreat ever, no matter what the circumstances. I never retreat." That That might be good for a while, but you can imagine scenarios in which, no, that would spell disaster. Okay, so, um, yes, I think I do have language in my pamphlets saying, if you want to think of it this way, go ahead, that the scattered remnant of people who truly care about individual liberty should consolidate and, for example, move to Texas if it's possible. And that that would be a way to uh, for them to best defend themselves and and uphold their way of life, is if they all... Pulled back into a more defensible position. Again, not I'm not saying because there's going to be a civil war. I'm saying there wouldn't be one if they did that because then they would have strength and as long as they weren't provocative, and didn't give DC a pretext to start bombing them or invade. I think that's the best way you know to try to avoid the outbreak of larger hostilities over the next twenty years in the United States. Is a scenario like that. OK, so I've used that language. And so James is trying to argue here. Well, geez, that's what the Israelis tried. And then, of course, what happened when they tried that strategy? The results are, in fact, that Israel was able to consolidate its power, which was already considerable due to U.S. and U.K. support within the state of Israel. And it was pressured into a permanent defensive posture by allowing a permanent antagonistic terrorist quasi state to develop on its borders with the chartered intention of destroying Israel completely. As it turns out, the bad guys were able to consolidate power in the unchecked environment too. Okay, so before moving on to his application of that ostensible lesson to national divorce in the United States, let me just pause and say this is a really bad analogy for what James is trying to do with it, okay? It is not the case that the Israelis in 2005 completely pulled out of Palestinian territory and just said, you know what? We're done with you people. You do what you want. Just leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. That's not what happened. Okay. It's certainly not analogous to Texas saying to Washington DC, you know what? We're done. You take your troops out of our borders. We're going to stop sending you taxes you leave us alone. Just you go do your thing. We're not going to mess with you. You don't mess with us. Right. that That's what <laughs> James is trying to say. That's what Israel did. So, no, it's not that Israel was being ruled by the Palestinians and thought they were being constantly oppressed by them and said, you know what? We want to break away from your rule. It's the, if anything, it'd be the other way around. If you wanted to apply the national divorce logic to the Middle East, you would say the Palestinians would want to secede from being under the thumb of the Israeli government, okay? And in particular, here Israel still maintained the blockade of the people in question, right? It's it's not that they that when we say they pulled out, what they mean is they t- told yes settlers to pull out. It's not that the Israeli army said okay, yeah, we have nothing to do with you guys anymore. Go do what you will, just don't cross over into you know uh tel aviv or something that's not what happened so a better analogy would be you know r- rather than looking at the current arguments for texas to break away from washington dc a better analogy of what happened with israel and and the so-called uh israeli disengagement would be like if the roosevelt administration you know in the early days of world war II. The U.S. entry into World War II after Pearl Harbor, they have infamously set up concentration camps, internment camps, and they put Japanese Americans into them. Okay, and so imagine if there had been some brawls or whatever, and some U.S. Uh, personnel, like uh, military police, I guess, would be the ones doing it. You know, maybe some of them got killed, in, you know, with shivs or whatever, because the the Japanese Americans were unruly. And then imagine if Roosevelt gave the order and the generals, you know, passed it and said, you know what? We're done dealing with these people and all U S personnel just pull out to the perimeter. So the people in the internment camps are still in a camp, right? The guards are still surrounding them. And if anyone tries to leave, they get shot. But the, the, you know, the military police say we're not going in there anymore because it's just too dangerous for us. And we'll just let those, those uh, prisoners, Have at it themselves. Okay. That's more analogous to what it would be. And then to look at that 10 years, you know, imagine if you kept that situation in place for what, 18 years, right from 2005 to 2023. And then 18 years later, if those Japanese Americans were still in the internment camp the whole time, and then one of the, you know, a bunch of them saw an opportunity and jumped the fence and went out and killed a bunch of, uh, U.S. civilians that were living near the internment camp, you know, you wouldn't say, we tried leaving those people alone and look what happened. It kind of blew up on our face. So really it shows how we got to tighten the screws on these people. Okay. So say what you will about that situation, but that's nothing at all analogous to Texas trying to break away from Washington, D.C., right? It's not that Texas is going to surround the rest of the United States and impose a blockade. And if anybody tries to leave the U S and go into Canada, the Texas uh, official, you know, the Texas military is going to shoot them and strictly regulate the flow. And, you know, Hey, and if Washington does something that bothers the Texan authorities, they're going to shut off electricity to the other uh, 47 stir 48 States. Right. Is, is that going to happen? Cause that's, The situation with Israel, right? After October 7th, the Israelis turned off electricity to all the people in question, right? That's kind of a weird thing to do if they weren't kind of running an open-air prison camp, as some people use that phrase, okay? So again, with all this stuff, is it literally the same thing as a big concentration camp? No. But on the other hand, is it literally the same thing as Texas trying to break away from Washington? Clearly not. Okay, so I don't think this, like I say, if anything, if you want to draw comparisons, I think it would show, yeah, trying to permanently keep people subjugated who don't want to be part of that system is not going to work. And you know, whereas James is trying to show, yeah, see, if you leave people alone, it comes back to bite you. And I don't think Israel vis a vis the Palestinians from 2005 onward could be described as trying to leave them alone. Also, if we're going to bring up, you know, that case, Benjamin Netanyahu explicitly supported and channeled funding to Hamas, right? This is well-documented. The Western, or I should say, the U.S. media doesn't report this much. You have to go to so-called dissident voices to even know that. But like in Israel itself, this is openly discussed in their major media about how Netanyahu literally supported Hamas, not because he thought they were great guys, but because he thought having terrorists running that region would discredit the calls for a two-state solution, which he didn't want. Okay, so yeah, I agree. If if we're going to say, what did Israel do? Let's make sure Texans don't do the same mistake. Then yes, if Texas were to break away, they should not funnel dollars from Texas to go to groups in Washington, D.C. who are openly advocating to drop nukes on Dallas. I agree the Texan authorities should not fund groups in the blue state that hate their guts and want to launch terrorist attacks on them. That's certainly the case of Israel shows, yeah, Netanyahu's funding of Hamas turned out to be a bad idea. I, I can agree with that, and so far as it goes. Okay. So now let me just move on here. So here's where I think James is just flipping around and you know, he's just kind of throwing stuff out there without really stopping to consider the implications. There are many parallels to draw from this experiment, talking about the Israeli so-called disengagement experiment, for an American big sort or national divorce. By fleeing your blue state as a conservative, that blue state loses some of the remaining capacity to check the power growing within it. That power is broadly communist, so it can be expected to operate in a permanently antagonistic and even terroristic way because it hates everything that isn't communist, including you. It will be able to do so not just in blue states, but also from within blue cells located inside your red state, located heavily in every blue city. Far from weakening the blue team in exchange for some temporary reprieve in your conditions, This action enables a great consolidation of communist power in regions under their control and thus weakens and eventually ends any capacity to drive those agendas and develop outward-facing political force. Since free people do not willingly move to communist regions very often, this migration is effectively one way, replicating some of the conditions of the Israeli disengagement experiment. Okay, so he's saying, just to make sure you're following this argument, he's saying if people, you know, the the right-wing pro property, pro individual liberty people who are scattered among the existing US states. Let's say a bunch of them move to Texas. Like so he doesn't name Texas, but I am. Let's say they all move to Texas or a bunch of them move to Texas thinking there's where we're going to consolidate our power, make make Texas really red, we'll be able to live in peace down there. James is saying, okay, one obvious result of that is the places that where all these people are leaving, now there's going to be a vacuum that the the little the sand in the gears, the people who would go to the parent teacher uh, you know, meetings or the the board meetings for the local school or whatever and object to this crazy curriculum. Those people are all moved to Texas now. So it's just free reign for the communists and the groomers and you know all the people that James Lindsay routinely warns us about. And so now they have free reign in the rest of the country and so they're going to consolidate their power. So now, the, 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 what right now are blue states are going to be really blue, okay? So he's saying that, but you might think, okay, but isn't there a countervailing trend where, where all the liberty lovers go to? Is that now, isn't that going to be now much stronger bulwark for individual liberty? And James doesn't think so. In return, you'll be able to consolidate red teams' power in your red states though, right? No, you will not successfully consolidate red team power anywhere, really. People who aren't communists, unless they're fascists, don't act like communists, so they don't readily consolidate power. Furthermore, the red states will remain fully infiltrated since their cities are already purple or blue, complicating the situation. This leaves red states with a constant internal and external pressure dynamic to turn blue or to go all bad by embracing fascism supposing those regions want to stay red they eventually therefore have to abandon the constitution and turn increasingly fascistic, which among other things leads to undermining and throwing out the constitution its protections on individual liberty blah 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 okay so he's saying not only if if, if a bunch of people you know scattered across the US right now all move to texas thinking you know this is going to improve my quality of life number 1 and you know maybe my kids obviously but also long run, this is the best way to preserve the remnant of constitutional government and so forth. James is saying, no, that the places you leave now are going to even go harder commie, but even Texas, if we pick Texas as the the red state that they're all going to, because you people play by the rules and you're fair and you're not just a bunch of maniacal, power-hungry killers, the way these commies are you're not going to be able to keep Texas red either. There's going to be this constant uh, churn internally. And so you're either going to have to just go fascist and stamp out the commies by, you know, by playing by their rules, basically, and just saying, Mike makes right and we win. Or you're going to just get subverted from within and eventually you're going to go purple and then blue anyway. Okay. So it's not so much that I want to hear argue he's wrong about that. I just want to say, if that is correct, well then no matter what we do, the commies are winning. All right. So if James is saying if all the freedom lovers right now all move to Texas and Texas starts out being seventy percent hardcore freedom lovers, but no over time they're either gonna have to go fascist or go commie. You can't just maintain and you know have an individual republic with constitutional limited government, the way that you know would make James Madison proud. If he, he's saying that's not a stable equilibrium okay, you might be right. But if you are right, taking those 70% of the freedom lovers in Texas and spreading them out around the country so that in any given state now, they're only 30%, what are you saying? The the commies can knock you out in the long run if you start out with 70% red, but if you start with 30% red, then you can't. That doesn't make any sense, right? So he's contradicting himself. That, If James wants to just be fatalistic and just say, no, we can't stop the commies, because again, there's this power asymmetry where we play by the rules and they don't, I'm not here in this podcast episode saying he's wrong. If you want to make that case, okay, but then don't say, and so therefore, rather than having all of us liberty lovers move to Texas, where in the long run, we can't stop the commies anyway, let's just spread ourselves really thin around the country, and then we'll all be able to hold off the commies with one fiftieth of our strengths in each of the respective, no, that doesn't, how does that work? Okay. So that's what, that's what I'm saying here that James is kind of just jumping around in this thing where he makes one arguments elsewhere. And then he forgets the logic that he used when he later tries to explain why we can still win guys. Let's not throw in the towel. America, uh, you know, is still, is still viable that no, not if the, the way he's knocking out the possibility of a Republic of Texas lasting in terms of well, they can't possibly stop the infiltration of the commies, okay by the same token, then surely the current United States, which is already run by commies in james's framework, you know it's <laughs> they've already won right it, it's so anyway, it would be like uh saying. I don't know in the Battle of Britain that no we we can't in the long run stop the the Nazis for, or the you know the Germans let's call them, from taking over so let's just let them invade or whatever and then we'll just go ahead and then down the road you know we'll try to undermine the Führer's legitimacy or something and we'll we'll force him to resign or is it like that 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 doesn't that doesn't work or maybe that I should probably say at this point before I forget that's maybe another way of looking at it is in James's, you know, worst case scenario, in the long run, what would happen? Supposed to, you know, Texas breaks away, and then let's say James is right, and that no, over time, because the Texans believe in the rule of law and the sanctity of the individual, and they're not going to be completely xenophobic. If some people from uh, California want to keep immigrating into the new Republic of Texas, that you know they're going to have vetting procedure, but ultimately they're not just going to have a litmus test and say, hey. Uh, you can only move to Texas if you uh, agree that Karl Marx is a jerk or something. And that In the long run, given that the Texan authorities are going to not just be outright authoritarians, and if they try to just have a rule of law and treat people with respect and give them the benefit of the doubt and innocent until proven guilty, that they're not going to be able to stop the long-term infiltration of subversive elements that come in and ultimately turn it purple and then back to blue, and then it gets reabsorbed in the U.S., Okay, so worst case scenario is Texas ends up where it is right now, and so James is saying, in order to avoid that horrible outcome where the where Texans are only free for twenty years and then they get reabsorbed back into this u s empire that's run by commies, let's just keep them right now in the u s Empire run by commies, and don't worry we'll we'll reform it from within that that doesn't make okay in fairness. If he wants to say something more nuanced, like, yeah, we're gonna be we're end up in the in the same place we are right now, it's just there'll be a lot of bloodshed along the way, then that makes sense. But that's not what his argument is, right? He's not throwing up his hands. Like, I can appreciate somebody, for example, who is a Bible-believing Christian and says, Of course, we're to spread the gospel, we're to speak truth to power. I don't like the LGBTQ agenda. I don't like this stuff, blah, blah, blah. I don't like Klaus Schwab telling us to eat bugs and everything. But you know what? I actually don't think we're going to stop that. The way I read the book of Revelation, at some point down the road, we're going to have a one world government. Most people are going to have the mark of the beast. You know, who knows exactly what that's going to mean in practice. And ultimately, you know, we humans on our own power are not going to stop the prince of this world from taking over. It's going to be the return of Jesus. That's what's going to do it. Right? If somebody wants to say that. And say so, you know, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about secession. And there's, you know, you guys are just putting band-aids on a fatal injury, the you know, fallen human nature, and so forth. Okay, I I, I can see that. I'm not even maybe you're right. But what doesn't make sense is James saying it makes you know, oh, it won't work if Texas tried to break away and all the liberty lovers move there. In the long run, they would still be subverted by the commies because they're so insidious okay, well, then, us staying in the Union right now, Texas staying in the Union is not gonna stop that either, and whatever techniques James uses to show, oh, look at, we can win if we do this and this, look at we, we did the boycott of Bud Light, we did okay, so all the people who move to Texas can do that within Texass borders too, except they're starting out with a bigger majority than they have right now if they're spread thin across the whole country, so again, it's not that here I'm trying to say. James is wrong for thinking some of the strategies he thinks still might work in terms of turning this ship of state around and maybe 20 years from now, the U.S. president is going to sound like Grover Cleveland. I don't think so. But if that is the case, then it's much more likely that if the Republic of Texas breaks away, that the president of Texas 20 years from now sounds like Grover, Grover Cleveland. That's much more likely. Okay. So then at the end of this article, James jumps into what he says is going to happen under national divorce. And he says, um, here he goes, what would happen realistically if the U.S. fractured because of blue team provocation from the federal government, intolerable conditions in the blue states, da, 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 da. nothing good would come over this. First of all, the United States wouldn't exist anymore. And both remnants, red state and blue state would be weaker. Okay, so here, it depends what he means by that, in terms of whether I do I agree with that statement or not. I agree the blue state would be weaker, right? Because among other things, I think, let's say Texas goes along and it starts going through the motions, you know, first, maybe they get it on the GOP primary ballot to have a a resolution saying Texas should formally withdraw from the union. So it's not binding, it's just a, a thing on the primary, but maybe that, if you know, if that passes seventy percent all of a sudden. So over time, as Texas starts getting more and more and this becomes more of a thing, you would see lots of people start moving to Texas, you know, looking ahead and saying, hey, there's a bigger and bigger chance now that they're gonna be free. So especially if you're self-employed, you you might move there to try to get there like before real estate prices go through the roof. Okay. So you know, you might just think it's a good investment, among other things. So if they actually broke away then you know think of all the, the most productive entrepreneurial people would flee the blue state in james's terminology and go to the red state so clearly yes the blue state would hurt and the those the the, the people with a head on their shoulders who leave that would mean crazier policies would also get enacted in the blue state so it's not just that the best entrepreneurs would leave but also the the policies in force in the blue state would get nuttier at least in terms of, you know, economic performance, you know, they'd have UBI, they would have all this kind of stuff, $30 minimum wage, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that one, two punch of some of the best and brightest entrepreneurs leaving, and then just having horrible economic policies getting ramped up because a lot of the conservatives left. And so that, you know, the, the left could really push through their economic agenda. That would mean the blue state would be much weaker per capita for sure. Okay, but the red state, by the same token, would be stronger. All right, you imagine, you know, if Texas broke away and they followed my advice and did not impose an income tax. I mean, can you imagine, like, self-employed people just going there? Because right now, there's lots of people who don't like living in the United States, particular people who are, you know, make more than five hundred thousand dollars a year. They don't like paying the taxes, all these regulations. But you say, well, why don't you move? They say, "Well, I guess I could go to Puerto Rico or something, or maybe I go to Belize, or you know there's different places you could. but imagine you know there's lots of downsides to that. I wouldn't be able to see my family as easily, and you know the culture's so different. but can you imagine if there was the Republic of Texas so it would still have the feel of the America you grew up in if you're you know if you were born and raised in America, but you could move there and not have to pay federal income tax? I mean, there'd be a lot of people that would start moving. On mass, if they thought there was even a twenty percent chance of that happening in the next ten years, okay. So, I, I think you know James isn't including that sort of element in his analysis. Okay, and then he says, uh, "The end. This end of the United States is the banal end of the United States mentioned near the start of this discussion." Okay, so I, I forgot to mention that. So at the beginning, you know, the title of his article was national divorce is national suicide and the way he opens the article is to say of course in, a, in one sense this is trivial right if the u.s were to break up into smaller regions you would no longer have the united states duh and he's saying but i don't just mean that tautology i'm going to say more that um you know but what we think of as the american way of life would collapse everywhere if if we foolishly followed this uh conservative call for hey let's just have you know, national divorce. And that's the way to make things right. And to go back to 1950s America. Okay. So here, James is saying, um, this end of the United States is the banal end of the United States mentioned near the start of this discussion. And then he says the constitution, however, in this scenario would be dead in both red state and blue state would have to decide on how to reconstitute themselves. Okay. So again, here is just, James is not, he's got his head in the sand right he's ignoring the reality right now how bad things are he's warning guys if we were to listen to the advice of some of these irresponsible hotheads on the right and have uh, a national divorce there goes the US constitution have you thought of that the constitution is already dead james All right uh, tom woods and kevin Goodzman have a book called who killed the constitution and they go through and try to explain how it was murdered, but their point is it was murdered. Here, let me read a little bit from my pamphlet on this. Uh, So one thing, when it comes to, is this constitutional? Like, is it legal? Could the people of Texas break away? I explained that when they originally joined the union, uh, let me just read from this. Uh, As part of the process of converting the Texas Republic into the 28th state, Texas President Anson Jones called for a convention, which was held on July 4th, 1845, that would approve the annexation offer from the U.S. government and would also, as required by the U.S. government's offer, draft and submit a new Texas state constitution, right? So that was one of the conditions of entry is that the U.S. government said, okay, you Republic of Texas, if you want to come in and become what at that time would be the 28th state first draft your, what's going to be your state constitution and let us look at it. And so they had did that. So both the citizens of Texas and the U S federal government, which was done under the Polk administration formally approved the 1845 constitution of Texas. And here's an element from that Texas state constitution that the U S government approved as part of the process of Texas formally joining the union. And so it said in their Bill of Rights, uh, section one, all political power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. And they have at all times the unalienable right to alter reform or abolish their form of government in such manner as they may think expedient. Okay, so that's what the Texas state constitution says. And the U.S. authorities signed off on that. So if the people of Texas decide, you know what, we don't like being part of the U.S. federal system anymore, the state constitution that they ratified and that the U.S. government agreed to as part of the process of them joining the union explicitly reserved the right of the people to dissolve forms of government that they didn't like. And, of course, that's also reminiscent of a certain guy with the initials T.J. that we were taught seemed to know what he was talking about. Okay, so... This idea that no if, if the people you know if the overwhelming majority of people in Texas wanted to leave the United States that they can't, they don't have the right to do that because you know e- either some people signed some stuff centuries ago or what's even more chilling because their ancestors tried to do that, and we a bunch of other people just slaughtered them in military conquest, so therefore that proves you don't have the right to do that because before when someone tried to do what you're saying. They got slaughtered by troops. So, duh, what are you talking about? Okay. Put that aside, though. Let's suppose, yep, you don't have the, con- you know, you, jo- not, you guys joined fair and square, and you, the people of Texas at that time, agreed forevermore all of their children and grandchildren and so forth would be part of this federal union bound by the Constitution. Okay, well, what happens if Washington continually ignores the Constitution? Right so this this wasn't a covenant like a like a like a biblical agreement where even if one party keeps violating what they said they were going to do the other party says no I I have to z-, right if if you're viewing it like as a contract the US federal government clearly hasn't lived up to its end and so why should the people of Texas have to continue to say well you know hey deals a deal and great great grandfathers agreed to this so therefore but why would that matter so let me just remind you folks of just how little the U S constitution matters now when it comes to things that the federal government does. Okay. So just to give you some context during the Eisenhower administration, that's when they built the interstate highway system that, you know, we sort of take for granted now, but that wasn't always there. That happened during the Eisenhower administration. And when they were debating that in Congress, some people raised the objection to say, do we have does the federal government have the authority to build highways? And where's that in the constitution? And then the defenders of the plan said, well, no, but it's it's for military defense, right? That if the Soviets land troops in Florida, it'll be good if we have an interstate highway system so we can quickly get tanks and troops down there. So the you know the power that the Constitution grants to the federal government for military defense that's what we're going to invoke to explain why we have the authority to build highways. Okay? So, just can you imagine that as recently as the Eisenhower administration, people still would would say, "Wait a minute, does the federal government have the authority to build roads?" They weren't sure, and they had to, they had to hammer that out. Okay. In contrast, in 2009, there's this famous thing where a conservative reporter grabbed Nancy Pelosi. This was right when the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was being debated, and uh, and the reporter asked Nancy Pelosi, hey, where in the Constitution does it give the federal government the authority to force Americans to buy health insurance? Because that's, you know, what Obamacare was going to do, and, uh, you know, there was the, what's called the individual mandate, where you had to go buy health insurance or else you'd get hit with a big penalty, and so you might think that Nancy Pelosi came back and said, oh, well, it's the general welfare clause, or, you know, something else that she might say is, like, well, that's why we have... The authority to do this. You you know, the Barack Obama, when he was sworn in, you know, pledged to uphold the Constitution and everything. So yes, we take that very seriously here in Washington, D.C. We're a constitutional republic, after all, for goodness sake. And uh yeah, I I thank you for your question. And here, let me explain to you where in the Constitution it gives us the authority to force Americans to buy health insurance. No, she didn't say that. You know what she said? She went, Are you serious? Are you serious? like She couldn't believe that she was even being asked to entertain such a nonsense question. What do you mean, where in the Constitution? What, what, are you kidding me? Is this a joke? That was her reaction. All right, so far from explaining the constitutional authority underlying the Affordable Care Act, Pelosi thought this was a big joke, that that someone would even ask such a question. Okay, Uh, how about this one? In March 2013, the National Intelligence Director, James Clapper, appeared before the U.S. Select Committee on Intelligence. Senator Ron Wyden, who's a Democrat, uh, first explained that a statement the year earlier by the NSA director had been ambiguous on this issue. And so he wanted a simple yes or no answer to the question. So he said, quote, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? And so then Clapper, in response to that, said, no, sir. And then Wyden followed with and said, It does not. And Clapper said, not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps collect, but not wittingly. Okay? So from that exchange, you would have thought, clearly as a matter of policy, the NSA is not engaged in mass data collection on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans. And that um, in some case, like maybe if they're tracking a terrorist who then makes a phone, you know, to order a pizza, maybe the NSA kind of intercepts that call. And, Oops. You know, we we heard a call, phone conversation with the innocent pizza delivery guy, but you know, it's not like we set out as a matter of policy to intercept that. It kind of just fell into the dragnet. And so not wittingly, but right. That's what you think he meant by that. And that, that's what was going on. And then, as I say, as the Edward Snowden leaks would demonstrate later that year, Clapper was lying when he gave this knowingly false answer, the NSA was collecting information on millions of Americans, and since he at the time was the director of national intelligence, Clapper knew that was the case. So you might think, geez, you got somebody from the administration there talking to Congress, telling them about the surveillance of U.S. citizens, talking to representatives of U.S. citizens, and just lying about it, what they're doing. You might think he'd get in trouble or something. No. No. Yet rather than being prosecuted for perjury, Clapper would still be placed on a federal panel to review surveillance programs, and years later would still be welcomed as an expert guest on cable news shows, especially if his remarks contradicted statements by Donald Trump. Okay? So far from suffering penalties from lying to Congress about how the administration was spying on U.S. citizens, instead, Clapper still celebrated, held up as this expert, and you know, still does appearances on CNN and MSNBC or whatever. Uh, you know, especially if he can make fun of Donald Trump and it, and it hurts Trump and helps the Democrats. Okay, last one I'll do here. Again, my point being James lamenting that, guys, if, if Texas goes through, there goes the U.S. Constitution. Just so, yeah, the U.S. Constitution was dead a long time ago, James. For an even more shocking illustration of the federal government's criminal behavior, consider the following, which is an actual New York Times front page headline from 2012. And the headline was this, secret kill list provides it or proves a test of Obama's principles and will. Okay. So that's not me paraphrasing. That's the New York Times headline uses the term kill list. And it says the secret kill is not just a public kill list. That would be one thing. It's a secret kill list proves a test of Obama's principles and will. Okay. And then let me Just give you a little bit more on that in case that's not on your radar. The article explains that the Obama White House had a list of individuals, including American citizens, who could be intentionally targeted for killing in a drone strike without any judicial oversight. The actual language used by the New York Times reporters leaves no room for misunderstanding. And here I have some quotes or a quote. So this is from, again, a 2012 New York Times article. Our source was the New York Times. It is the strangest of bureaucratic rituals. Every week or so, more than 100 members of the government's sprawling national security apparatus gather by secure video teleconference to pore over terrorist suspects' biographies and recommend to the president who should be the next to die. This secret nominations process is an invention of the Obama administration, a grim debating society that vets the PowerPoint slides bearing the names, aliases, and life stories of suspected members of al-Qaeda's branch in Yemen or its allies in Somalia's Shabaab militia. And then dot, dot, dot. That record and mister Alaki's calls for more attacks presented Mr. Obama with an urgent question. Could he order the targeted killing of American citizen in a country with which the United States was not at war in secret and without the benefit of a trial? The Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel prepared a lengthy memo justifying that extraordinary step, asserting that while the Fifth Amendment's guarantee of due process applied— It could be satisfied by internal deliberations in the executive branch. Okay, and then this is back to me talking. I was going to just say it extemporaneously, but I think my language here is better. In sum, the agents of the federal government have brazenly ignored their constitutional restrictions for decades, and not just in procedural matters, but while administering explicitly criminal enterprises. When the citizens of the Republic of Texas agreed to U.S. statehood in 1845, it wasn't akin to a biblical covenant or even to a marriage, where till death do us part is part of it. In this respect, the common label of a national divorce is a misleading term for state secession. Today's Texas residents may consider severing ties with the U.S. government a bad idea, but they should feel no moral nor legal obligation to remain in league with such a blatantly lawless organization. Okay, so again, with that last part about the the secret kill list, It's, you know, the the Constitution ensures, or ensures, requires due process for people. And the Obama administration, there were U.S. citizens who lived in areas that the U.S. wasn't even at war with that country. And they just sent drones to go kill, kill those people. They didn't have to go even, you know, get a judge to sign off on that. They just executed them. And they said, Oh, it's and their you know their response was not to say, well, the fifth amendment only applies if you stay within the borders of the US. No, they, they were saying, No, the Fifth Amendment does apply. We did give them due process. We had this teleconference session with a hundred members of the administration. We had our PowerPoint slides, and we discussed the pros and cons of killing this person. And tough for that guy, it came out that we decided we were gonna kill him. So we what do you mean? That's due process. Okay, so you know, James, I'm sorry to tell you, but the U S constitution is already dead. Okay. So to say on the margin, a downside of Texas, would be that we would lose the U S constitution. That's not a downside. That's, that's a cost that we've already borne. Okay. uh, I'm just about done here. He then goes through two different scenarios. We calls the fast option and the slow option. And he says one way that, national divorce would quickly lead to game, what he calls game over is if let's say Texas breaks away and they make a fight for keeping the military hardware and especially the nuclear weapons, the nuclear arsenal that's currently right now in Texas and that surely Washington would not let that happen and the rest and they could easily gin up global support for an invasion of Texas to stop that. You know, oh, we can't have a bunch of neo-Confederates running around with nukes. That would be the way. So I agree with James. If the Texas authorities tried to do that, that's what would happen. And so that's why I say they should, as part of the procedure of withdrawing, say, here, we agree current hardware on U.S. military bases is the property of the U.S. government. Take it. All right. So just like if the Iraqi authorities tell Washington, you know what? We don't want the U.S. occupation of our country anymore. Get out of here. That's what Texas would be saying to Washington. Like, hey, we're an independent republic right now. You have a bunch of military bases located on our sovereign territory. We're telling you formally we would like you to withdraw. Look, we no longer consent to this, so withdraw. That's what they should do. Very strongly. Yeah, it would be stupid if Texas voted to secede and then said, oh... And we, you know, our taxes is paid for a bunch of these nukes. And so that's what we should get to keep. That That would be crazy. They they shouldn't do that. All right. So I agree with James on that front. He then talks about the divorce of the slow option. And so here's where, again, I just think our economics are different. James says, for example, in the slow option where there's not like a, a quick hot war, but just over time, suppose the the red state breaks away what's going to happen? And he says, the next two years or so of the slow option are going to be awesome for most former US citizens in two usual ways. Blue state, after rapidly completing its soft communist revolution, will leave the revolutionary phase and enter the phase of building socialism. That means it will rapidly clean itself up like San Francisco did and dedicate itself to a rapidly building economy in the model of China. It will likely receive major global help, blah, 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 blah. Things will be much cleaner and efficient. Their alliance with China, the EU, and the rest will be tight, and the life will be good. I don't think that, you know, or he says, business will thrive, people will make money, stuff will work again. I, I don't know, understand where he's coming up with this. That if we're saying if he's agreeing right now, it's not working. You know, the, the economy's doing poorly in the blue states, and if a bunch of their entrepreneurs and the people who are most dedicated to individual liberty, if they all move to Texas. And the people left behind are the, you know, blue haired uh, advocates of 17 genders who support UBI and are big fans of MMT. And now those regions are going to thrive economically that no, the the reason so-called communist China is doing well economically, like over the last 20 years, it's not because all of the pro-capitalist people left China and went to Hong Kong or something. no they had pro market reforms that china backed off of um you know the, the 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 plans of of their autocratic rulers and um you know they're not explicitly capitalist but they introduced pro market pro private property reforms and that's why china grew and a lot of the difficulties in recent years has been from their explicitly, you know, top down central planning and trying to build cities and whatever. So it's, it doesn't like, again, no, so- socialism doesn't work, James. It's not a good economic system. It's not just that it's bad for the soul. It's bad for your economy too. It, and I don't, I realize what I mean he's saying, it. like James knows that. So I just, I don't, maybe he's, I'm misunderstanding what his point is here, but, no, I I don't see how if you agree right now the US is not in great shape and then the entrepreneurial people leave the blue areas and go head for Texas, how does that mean the blue areas now all of a sudden experience an economic resurgence? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, and then yeah, he goes I'm not gonna quote it, but he goes on to make it sound like the red state, yeah, maybe they'll be happier because they're gonna rough it and they're gonna go out and you know, build the trains out in the forest, and but by gosh, we're free. No, the Texas economy would be growing at a much higher rate in the first few years after leaving, if, if there's not an outright war. Okay, and I again, I don't think there needs to be. I don't, you know, and I don't think people on the right should just have it as a a given that oh yeah, if you tried to leave, you'd get bombed. Among other things, for the people who say that, it's like okay, well then shouldn't that disturb you, right? Like, you know, the, the analogy people use about a, an abused girlfriend or, or wife to say like, oh yeah, if you tried to leave, you know, like so in other words, they're outlining all the reasons they're unhappy, right? You're, t- you're talking to some woman and she's explaining how her long-term boyfriend is really abusive and, you know, just, he's a jerk and he does this and that, he takes my money and he lies all the time and this and that, he's cheating on me. And then someone says, well, why don't you leave? And she says, well, because he would kill me. Okay, so if if she's serious about that and that's true, then yeah, you pr- maybe you don't, you know, she shouldn't just break up with him next Thursday. You know, maybe there's a real chance that he would hurt her. But you wouldn't say, "Oh, well, in that case, just you know, think about where you want to go uh, on vacation, plan the wedding, uh, decide how many kids you want to have with this guy, and 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 just plan your the rest of your life living with him." Because, well, too bad that if if you tried to leave me, tell you so. I guess that's off the table. No, you would say, okay, you have to be very cautious and let's have this long-term plan now to safely extricate yourself from the situation. But you wouldn't just say, okay, well, let's make the best of it and look at all his good qualities and look at all the nice trips he takes you on. No, if you say the the reason I am not leaving is because he would kill me, that means you need to figure out a plan of getting away from this guy, perhaps in a longer-term strategy because, again, the immediate threat. So likewise, if your number one response to people who say, hey, I think Texas should should secede is, well, no, because Washington would ultimately just invade and and slaughter a bunch of people if they did that, then you should say, so I agree, Uh, every American needs to figure out how do we get away from this monstrous apparatus located in Washington. And maybe we don't openly advocate secession next Thursday because that would be disastrous, but let's start thinking this through. You wouldn't just say, okay, so... USA, USA, rah, 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 let's now reboot the constitution. Like that, that doesn't follow at all. Okay. I guess I can wrap up there. I guess my re- re- remarks at the end here, concluding remarks, big picture. I think I some of this I've said earlier, but just to reiterate, clearly the globalists want one world government. That's why they're globalists. They don't want a bunch of decentralized little independent states because that's harder to control. So in general, consolidation favors the communist takeover of everything, okay? Uh, Federalism has been consistently beaten down in the United States, right? That U.S. governors used to have a lot more authority vis-a-vis Washington than they do now, right? That's not because the forces of capitalism and private property and constitutionalism have been gaining strength over the decades. No, it's the other way around. All right. Brexit was lambasted and mocked and writ you know from the establishment. Okay, so in general, secessionist breakaway movements are sticking it to the man. All right. That doesn't that doesn't prove it's right, but just James's notion that, oh no, the secession is exactly what the commies want. So I, I and I think I know what's going on here. It is true that historically a strong United States was a bulwark against the left taking over the world, right? And that's why I think you saw you know, the efforts of communists, or let's say leftists more broadly, to undermine confidence in America, right? To make Americans... Just hear nothing about like, hey, you know, slavery was invented in human history when slaves were first brought from Africa over to what's now the United States. Like before that, there was never an example of slavery whatsoever, and slavery is a uniquely American sin, then you Americans should feel horrible about that. And let's just do nothing but watch movies about uh, you know, segregated lunch counters and stuff like that, just to remind you that the United States is a very evil place. Okay. Right. But at this point. The left is no longer demonizing America in that respect. Right now, it's shifted to the left has taken over the United States, and that's why you know they can use the U.S. military to go do so-called humanitarian operations. Okay, so I think you've seen a shift, in, and I had um, Keith Knight on my own podcast, the Bob Murphy Show, recently talking about his book on uh, progressive domestic imperialism, and I think we've seen a shift. In the last few decades, along these lines, where the left used to be very much against U.S. intervention abroad, and now they're much more in favor of it, and you can even just see, you know, the roles being reversed. When you know the movie Doctor Strangelove was out, it was the right-wing conservatives who were hell bent on blowing up Russia and were very paranoid about you know those ruskies, and now the roles have reversed. It's the MAGA hat-wearing Republicans who are like, oh, Tucker Carlson's interviewing Putin. Let's see what he has to say for himself. And it's the leftists who are, no, Putin is the devil on earth. And uh, we, you know, we need to fund proxy wars against him. Okay. So, you know, the roles have totally reversed there. All right. So I, I, again, I understand where James is coming from and would think it's in the left's interest to divide America and to foster division. And just like they want to fuel race, uh, hostility and so forth. Hey, they also would want Texas to break away because that would weaken America. But no, I don't think they do. And again, I I think you can see this in the the current media coverage. You know, if some, uh, leftist organizations talking about the possibility of Texas and the kind of people that support Texas, they're not saying, well, these got people make a good point, and I think actually we should let them go. And da, da, da. Anyway, after all, uh, you know, we the U.S. government is typically in favor of breakaway movements and individual sovereignty and self-determination when it comes to other peoples. So why wouldn't we say the same thing about people who live in, in Houston? That's not what they say. No. They disparage these people as a bunch of redneck racists who, you know, long for uh the days of the Confederacy. So I think, you know, I think there's that element as well. Last thing I'll say is, ironically, you know when James is talking about the Israeli disengagement, I have an example of when the secession occurred in the context of communists, and it's the breakup of the Soviet Union. Okay, so it wasn't literally bloodless, but if you had asked people in the year 1980, hey, uh, in the not-too-distant future, the Soviet Union is going to collapse and all the satellite states are going to break away and end up being their own countries. Do you think the communists running the USSR right now are going to let that happen? And I think they would say, no, are you kidding me? Can you imagine the brutal crackdown that will occur and how many millions of people will die? That seems very relevant. Let's just have detente with them. Let's just try to contain them. That would be reckless to be-. and that's not what happened. All right, it's somewhat shocking how relatively peaceful it was that the Soviet Union just dissolved, collapsed under its own weight, and all the republics broke away. Okay, so if that can happen, and it's not that, oh, but then the seeds were planted, and a few years later, Moscow conquered everybody again, and it's back to where it was, why are we assuming that in the United States that would happen? Right? Are the communists stronger in the U.S. than they were in Moscow? I don't think so. Okay, so, and if they are, well, then it's all the more reason to want to get away from those people, right? So, again, it's this weird thing where James is saying, oh, the communists have such power over us, and that's why we should stay in political alliance with them. And we'll just, we'll, we'll change their minds or something. You know, like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I will link folks to my, to, of course, James's article. If you want to read it in his own words, make sure I'm not misrepresenting him and my pamphlet on Texas comments. Also, I'll include Scott Horton had sent me some links. I did have a phone call with him about the Israeli disengagement experiment. Scott had plenty of things to say, as he has want to do on that matter, thinking that, you know, the conclusions James was drawing are wrong. I didn't want to dive into that stuff in too much detail also, just because that's not my area. And, you know, I I don't want to be bluffing on something that I'm not really very conversant with, but I will include links to all those things. With all that said, thanks for your attention. Go Texas. See you next time, folks. Check back next week for a new episode of the human action podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.